Welcome everyone to Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm your host, Christine Courtney. Our goal here is to give you some actionable takeaways that will help you lead your teams. Thanks for joining us on this leadership journey. Let's get started. In the studio today, it's a big day, people. In the studio, we have not only an amazing CEO, not only someone who is changing the world through goodness and strategic thought, but a very handsome man on top of it. My husband, Philip Courtney, is here with us. <laughs> I'm nervous. Hi, Philip. Hi. Usually I say, I'm really excited. And today, I'm excited, but I'm a little bit nervous too. So yes, me too. And he's not here for marriage therapy, although who knows, maybe it'll turn into that. But he's here because we're talking. About... That would be a very interesting show. <laughs> That's a different podcast. He's here because we are talking about the six types of working genius. One of my favorite assessments that companies can do to kind of improve their working conditions and the staff and make sure that people are doing more and more of what they love at work and bringing more joy and happiness to the workplace. And the reason that I brought Philip in was because we've been married 20 years, but in all the years we've been married and doing this work, this is the only thing he has ever actually hired me to do for his company. And so I thought that it must be good because if he's going to choose to do it, then there's some positive thing there for him, for us, for the employees. And so I really wanted to talk about the six types of working genius from the point of view of a leader of a company or a CEO, um, not just from my point of view or point of view of other people that do it, but from somebody who's actually running a company and looking at it. So just to give you a little bit of background on what Philip, who he is and what he does, or he works, he's a CEO of Urban Arts, and they implement educational programs that are kind of rooted in arts and technology, um, specifically a lot of digital game design for underrepresented students. And they're, they're located here in New York City, but they work throughout the country. So welcome, Philip. Maybe you can tell people, if I did I do a pretty good job saying what you do? Is there more? Yeah, clearly you went to our website and, and got the language. It's very accurate. I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I do my research, you know, I can't just say, you know, what I hear you talk about. So anything else that I miss? Oh, yeah. I mean, just to get more specific, we have three pillars of our work. And uh, as Christine said, in the first one, we teach underrepresented students the art and science of game development through animation, coding, computer science, uh, music, storytelling, all of the things you would see in a video game, all of the skills you need to learn in order to make a video game, which includes all the art and the coding. We teach that as well as all the SEL skills of working together and working as a team and producing uh, great content and portfolios. And the second uh, pillar of our work is college access. So we provide what we like to call a private school level, not private school, but a private school level college access services to our students who don't have private school level college access services at their fingertips, right? Because they're underrepresented, they come from low income communities, but we think they deserve it. So we provide that as well. And one of our biggest metrics is uh, our students' matriculation into college and the number of scholarships they've earned to date, which is currently 17 million. And the last part of our mission, which is the newest part of our mission, is we have, of course, a growing body of alumni, all of these creative technologists out there in college around the country, and now graduating college. And uh, the third part of our, our mission is to connect them to the world of work through mentorships, internships, apprenticeships, and another piece of the puzzle of life where, you know, it's who you know and how you need to get connected, how you can use your networks to, to get a leg up and get your first job. So that's the, 
the third pillar. So three pillars, teaching, college access, and then the world of work. Great. And all of that because our why, we did some work on Simon Sinek's golden circle, and our why is because um, a child's education shouldn't depend on their zip code. So that's why we get up in the morning and, yeah. And they do an amazing job with an amazing, passionate staff. Um, how many are, just so people can get a sense, like how many people are on your staff right now? We have 30 full-time staff and we have a growing body of uh, what we call teaching assistants, which are part-time staff who also happen to be our alumni, which I'm particularly excited about because game design is a relatively new field in general. It's a $300 billion industry, but in the world of K-12 education and even more so the world of K-12 education in underrepresented communities, it's almost non-existent. And so finding game design teachers is difficult. So we've, you know, there was a, a need there for us to hire people who could teach game design. It's not easy because you've got to be a coder and an artist, kind of a unicorn, but guess who can teach it? The students who we've just taught how to do it. So we're growing. Uh, so we have about 15 to 20 uh, teaching assistants, in addition, who are essentially our alumni working their way through college. Right. So the reason we're talking here today is talking about how the six types of working genius can help any company. And I'm specifically interested in like why you decided to do it with your staff. Just some background for everybody. I was excited about it at home. And so I was did my own assessment as people know. And just as a quick reminder, in the six types of working genius, it goes from wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, and tenacity are the six types of working genius, meaning that there's not one type of genius. It's just a matter of the stage of work that you're in and what type of person finds the most joy and satisfaction from that stage of work, starting with the beginning ideation stages of wonder and invention to the activation stages of discernment and galvanizing to the implementation stages of enablement and tenacity. And so when I had taken the assessment and done the and got certified in the training, I was so excited to see how this was relating to my staff, to my work, to what I do. And and then I was talking to Philip about it, probably over a glass of wine and some food, good food that he cooked. And then I made him do the assessment. And so that was even interesting for us to look at the differences and the similarities in how we tested and like how that comes up just even in our personal lives um, in terms of what makes for an easier relationship at home, much less not even talking about what it was in the office. And so once I took it and did it with my staff and now done it with more and more companies, it was really interesting to look at how do these things in someone these geniuses show up in all parts of your life. When we did our test, just so everybody knows, I came up, my top two geniuses are discernment, uh, which is basically how you intuitively assess the merit and workability of an idea or a solution. Okay. And the other one was galvanizing, which is generates enthusiasm and action around an idea or solution. And Philip, when he tested, I had so many guesses, but he I think I was right on the first one. The first one that he has is invention, which is basically somebody who can kind of confirm the importance of a need and then generates an idea or solution. I was very jealous because that's the genius that I wanted to have, but alas, I do not. Um, and then your other one was galvanizing, right? And that's yeah. where we overlap. So that was interesting. And then in Working Genius, you also are given two competencies. Uh, that means things that you're good at, but not necessarily the things that bring you the most joy and satisfaction. And then you have your working frustrations. And we tend to know those things. Those are the things that we probably have to do in our jobs and frankly, maybe need to be good at in our jobs, but they really drain us and burn us out really quickly. So if we're working 
if we have a particularly hard week or we feel really burnt out, when we look back at what we did that week, most likely they were tasks and actions that had us living in that working frustration more than ever. So when we started looking at that, one of the things that I noticed was regularly recurring in in just our home relationship was how I could see his invention is that regularly what happens is Philip would say, hey, what should we cook for this dinner party we're having this weekend? Because we both really like to have dinner parties. It's probably the galvanizers in us. And uh, I, like a dummy, would answer that question. So I would say, oh, why don't you cook your uh, duck a l'orange? Or why don't you cook? um..." I know right now you're thinking it's not duck a l'orange, aren't you? You're thinking it's a little bit different. But anyway, why don't you cook your duck or why don't you cook this? And he would immediately have to say no. He would never like one of those ideas. And so I would then go into, well, this is so stupid. A bit of an overstatement, but okay. (laughs) You wouldn't like those ideas. Sometimes I do. So then I would go, oh, okay. So I'd be frustrated. Like, why am I answering this? And then once I took this assessment, I started to look at, oh, he is really good at coming up with an idea, right? An idea in action. And my genius is just taking that idea and then like discerning, would that work? What could make it better? And so forth. And so once I switched that, once we recognized it and he, I could just be a sounding board for him coming up with ideas. And then when he had them, I could discern them and we could use that vocabulary. All of a sudden things got much easier around all these dinner parties. And I thought it was such a fun way to kind of relook at how things were instead of just playing the same old loop over and over and over again. So I started to see that in my personal life and we would talk about it in terms of our working genius. But even then when I would go to work, I would see the same thing happen. Even Tatiana, who's a producer on here, she has an invention genius too. And so she can come up with those things or Blanca, who I work with, can come up with ideas really fast. And then I can just use my discernment to help try to make them better instead of trying to spend all my time coming up with ideas that are not necessarily uh, an easy thing for me to do. So with that in mind, as a backdrop, Philip then was like, huh, maybe we should try this for our staff. And so what made you make the leap before doing this one, let's say? Because Lord knows I get excited about lots of things I talk about. Well, I I took the test because you made me take the test, number one, right? Which is fine. And I have a general distaste, perhaps, or cynicism around all of these approaches. I guess that's who I am. And I took it. And I think I took it in a way that I wasn't really invested in the answers. It was probably the right way to take it. And then you got the results and you came running up to me with the results. And you said, I knew you were these things. I knew you were galvanizing. I knew you were innovator. Um, And then we talked about it a little bit. And I think it was about a year ago, I felt that we needed, you know, this is coming out of COVID and needed to reboot our staff. And one of the needs identified in the organization was that people really needed to know each other better and know how to work with each other better. So I'm trying to remember, actually, there was something about it. I mean, I firstly, I was very happy with my assessment. When I found out that I was a galvanizer and an inventor, I was like, yeah, that's right. And then when I looked at what that meant, when I actually read what it means, I thought, huh, that's interesting. And it's kind of it kind of reaffirmed what I think I'm good at. And so that was a good beginning in terms of just testing out the model, I suppose, because I have staff who've taken the assessment and then they get the results back and they go, huh, I don't really necessarily agree with that. Usually the assessment gets it right, but some people have come back and they're like, well, I'm not sure that's who I am. And, I said, and I'm like, well, uh, why? why? Why do you think it's different? And, and what, what we found with the staff who don't agree with the assessment is when they're taking the assessment, they're trying to like gain the assessment or they answer the assessment from the perspective of not what they're good at or from their instincts, but they answer it from the point of view of where they're currently in their job 
mm. and what they do most of, right? So anyway, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's clear. But yeah. so why did I decide to do it? Mostly that. I mean, I like the asset perspective of it. I like that it's simple. I like that there are six essentially working geniuses. I like that it's, you know, from the asset perspective, everyone's a genius in working <laughs> genius and everyone likes to be a genius. Like, yay, we're all geniuses. Um <laughs> And I and I'm a believer in life is short, and hopefully in work you get to do your best work and be in the best role you can be that aligns with how you're built, how you're wired, and uh, that to me is an attractive concept. And I didn't know what would happen at work. I was also a bit worried because it was you, even though I shouldn't. You're great. It's not about you. I was worried more about the staff and the perception of me. You know, bringing in my wife. Mm-hmm. you know, to do a, a workshop and, you know, everyone rolling their eyes. Like, oh, here we go. And um, that's me, right? That's my baggage. But everyone loved it. It's by far the most successful workshop on these kinds of, you know, methodologies that we've ever had. And everyone really loved it and adopted it. And to the extent that we did a follow-up one and that today in the organization, we use this language. And we don't, you know, we've done two workshops. I can't say that we've studied the text you know i mean everyone's read their stuff and we've done the workshops but even just with those two workshops and everyone understanding what this is about it is it is part of our dna we use people's working geniuses for decisions in the organization all the time it is part of our day-to-day conversations just like core values would be part of a day-to-day conversation working geniuses as well can you give people an example of what that looks like? Because I love that you reminded me how it is simple. Like it is so simple to have six things that you're looking at and you're really looking at, you know, two that are your geniuses of those six. So they're very memorable. And so I find that people remember them and then can hopefully integrate it there a little bit easier than some other things, even though all the assessments offer something. Can you give people an example of what that looks like? Just a, of how it, the, either the vocabulary is implemented or how you hear it being used? Well, from my CEO standpoint, which is running the organization, so I guess seeing it all, I use it from a as a management strategy because I'm more aware of what people are wired for and good at and and where they might struggle. And so whether it's finding the right role, not the right role because everyone has their role, but the right project or what, what that person's role is in a particular project. And like some of these, I just know they're perhaps not going to be able to be as detail-oriented as another person. So you need to bring that person into a project because you're always building teams, whether it's within a department or cross-departmental. You're always building teams and it just gives you more insight in how to build a team and who you might need on that team in order to make sure that the team can, you know, get through the project. That's one. I think people, not myself, but I think people use it within their teams. I think people are very self-aware of their geniuses and what they're not good at. And that's also, it's brought up some interesting vulnerabilities in people where they're like, well, you know, my genius is this and that's not really mine. And so through that vulnerability, they bring in other people to a project that they know would help them. Uh, because that's what's good about the model is, um, and by the way, I don't know if this is another of your questions, but I've done a few of these before and they didn't go so well. <laughs> with you or with them? No, 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 just in the past. We've done, I don't need to name them, but other of these sort of, ways of working together. And I, I found that some of them were just more divisive than uniting. I mean, my thing about working genius is it unites, I think it unites us. Uh, yeah. Whereas I think other methodologies would, people would get so invested in their tribe, in their, who they are and they, their people with the best that you had, you had the, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> I know what you so, mean. <laughs> um, yeah. 
So yeah, so that's how it shows up. We have a, a goal document. Every single person in the organization has goals. You know, a few months into the year, we make sure we articulate all of those. And so everyone's goals are listed. And at the top of the person's goals, there's their person's name, obviously, but also their working genius. And so that's also an interesting litmus test as to you see this person's you know five main goals for the year. And then you also look at what's their working genius. I know it just... It, it just adds more context and, I guess, color to um, who they are and what they might need in order to achieve those goals, right? Yeah. I think sometimes even for me, I notice it when some people are in my organization who might be having trouble working together on some sort of project or goal, you know, cross-departmentally, and they're not used to working together. And there can be a lot of friction when I step back and go, wait a minute, what was they're working geniuses again. And I can see like, oh, this person has a lot of tenacity, which is that type of person that is great at following up on things. Once they set a goal, they're on, they're making sure that they cross that finish line, that thing that is detailed, that steps are happening, right? That tenacity genius, which is so valuable in so many organizations. And then I'll notice that I put somebody who has that with somebody who maybe has a lot of wonder and a lot of things that are uh, around ideation and wondering, well, wait a minute, could this be better? Or how will this be look like in the future? And nothing drives somebody who's a tenacity person more crazy when they're trying to get something across the finish line than those big questions that should be at the beginning of a stage of work coming up. And um, I know for ourselves, sometimes when I see those frictions, not always, but sometimes it's because, oh, okay, wait a minute, we're not recognizing this. And when we talk about it and I say like, oh, well, you know, she has a lot of wonder or she has a lot of tenacity. And like, maybe you guys just have to figure out a way to work within that so that your your genius has its place in time, but maybe is put on the brakes at certain times also, whether it's at the beginning or the end of a of the stage of this project. I'm noticing that that's helping ease some of that discomfort for them a little bit and like, loosening up around like, okay, this isn't about you or something that's wrong with you. This is just a difference that we have. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's created some space around, like, I think I can run a good meeting, but some people don't like the way I run a meeting. And instead of me going, maybe you think, oh, maybe I'm not doing a good job running a meeting. Now I realize why they don't like the way I'm running the meeting. It's because they're working genius. And it's okay. And uh, like, hey, and I can have that conversation with that person and go, I know this is going to, this meeting, by the way, before we start the meeting, is going to drive you crazy because it's two hours of ideation and brain, brainstorming or and it's going to, it's going to be, you know, meandering. And that's the point of this meeting. I know you're not wired that way and just, you know, enjoy the ride rather than, <laughs> you know, having to write. And so that's, you know, information is everything. Those people who perhaps don't, you know, have struggle with more open-ended conversations, uh, you know, they they learn something too from it. So, and they're aware of it too, rather than, you know, there's no one way to write a meeting, run a meeting and different meetings for different things. And obviously not every meeting can be open-ended and, and innovation-based, but uh, yeah, so it's it's good. It's information. And the, like you said, there there allows some not only space but also some a bit of like self reflection and humor. I feel like there's humor. a bit of humor that opens things up a bit where we can not. Yeah, we tease each other a little bit. Yeah, in a in a good way. Like yeah. oh, you, yeah, yeah, in a, in a good way. I noticed that even with my friends, because, you know, I'm such a dork that I made my friends take this test as well, and we'll even tease each other, you know, uh, 
over something, you know, that we see in each other over and over again. So that part of it, I appreciate. Like, I find that that lightens things up a bit uh, when things are getting seeming feeling frustrating. That's a great example of meetings, by the way, is like being able to name those meetings. That's one of those best practices that you prepare people, whether it's in an agenda ahead of time or when you start the meeting or hopefully even maybe before they come to be able to say these things, this is what this meeting is going to be like. Same way, the opposite, I have to have my folks who are those more implementers, those tenacity enablement geniuses who really want to get things done and move those action steps. Sometimes I have to tell my ideators and my galvanizers, like, hold off in this meeting. Like, you're going to have to struggle through a lot of these details of action steps of how these things are going to get done. But that's what this point of this meeting is. And you have to then have to take a back seat here. Or someone like me who has a lot of discernment, who wants to stop everything, whether it's in an ideation meeting and stopping the brainstorm because I'm thinking, oh, wait, that won't work. Or maybe this could be be better. And, and my ideas are, no, we got to free up our minds a little bit. The tenacity people sometimes get frustrated with me too, because they're like, no, 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 we've already discerned this. Like we have decided this is our action. And now we are just going, do not let us stop. Please do not make us stop. And I think when you're the person in power, we have to be even more aware of that. Yeah. Other thing, just to keep in mind guys out there that this test is pretty easy. You know, it's 10 minutes. You know, you can take a guess at what other people's geniuses might be, but it's really easy to take the assessment. And it, compared to other assessments, it's really inexpensive too. That's another thing. And I don't appreciate. don't try and game the test. Let's go with your first instinct. That's <laughs> like, true. oh, let me see. What are they trying to get at with this question? And let me think about how I should answer it so I can get the optimal result. Don't do that. It's so true. And you can tell it right away when someone gets their assessment. You're like, oh, no, because we all we all can kind of know intuitively this is feels right. And I think you had a good point, too, earlier that I just want to kind of highlight for folks is that when you take those assessments, oftentimes we think this is what we should be good at or this is my job and this is me. I'll be honest. I really wanted to be an invention genius. I thought I run a company. I should be able to come up with ideas. I wanted that genius so badly. Um, and then when I looked at it and I didn't, you know, I didn't get it, so to speak. And I was really like, I'm not a discerner. That sounds so negative to me. I had my own stuff coming with it. And then when I started to really look into what it meant, I was like, oh yeah, definitely. This is what I do. And even with you, I mean, I have to be careful when you're excited about something and brainstorming about something at home, like in our personal lives, I have to be really careful to put my discernment genius like a little bit on hold and not just start poking holes in every one of your ideas, you know, because- Yeah, I think you need to get, I think you need to get better at that. <laughs> Yeah, I think, no, keep working on that. That's good. I like, you know, keep working on that. You know, we've got a ways to go there. And Philip will say to me like, okay, not the time for discernment. And I'll go, oh, right, okay. And that's like, that's a perfect example of like taking this, taking a back seat in that particular meeting. Then later I'll be like, when can I use my discernment? And then when he's kind of, you know, through that brainstorming phase, um, that can happen. But it's hard because we're both galvanizers. And so we both get really passionate about whatever it is. Oh, you painted a very strange picture of our relationship, I think. Did I? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think people will be thinking that we talk about, like, we use words like discernment and innovation genius in the home. I don't think we do, right? We just kind of, it's more like subtle, right? Maybe. Do you think? <laughs> I feel like I'm saying it in my head all the time. <laughs> oh, well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but. People will be thinking, these guys really take their work home with them. Wow. <laughs> To me, it's not work. That's the hard part. I love no, this but stuff. it is. Yeah, I know. But I think that's also the point is 
Yeah, it kind of, I mean, you did the working genius for our kids as well. Well, they didn't take the assessment. You just, right? You just, yeah. you just decided who they were. <laughs> I just but, um, decided. <laughs> you decide. It's about right. They should take the assessment. That would be interesting. Right? Yeah. yeah. But is, no, but, you know, some of my employees, they, I think they said this to you, but they came back and they went, oh my God, this is going to be so helpful with my partner, husband, wife, mm-hmm. you know. I'm going to have them take the assessment. And it's been kind of enlightening for quite a few of my employees in just how they relate to their uh, their partners. Pretty pretty interesting. So working genius isn't really just a workplace thing, right? No. Yeah, they, they even talked about it on, um, they've been using it for couples sometimes and also um, friends, but, all, you know, even how you plan a vacation. Patrick Lencioni, who's the creator of the six types of working genius, he and his wife were talking about really looking at their problems when they try to plan vacations. And you know, this came up even on our our vacations. But in his particular case, his wife, neither one of them have a lot of tenacity and it's hard to get to get things done and, you know, plan those things. But anyway, in our case, I look, I look at our vacations too, because Philip plans our vacations, but it's perfect for an invent, someone who has a lot of invention. Sometimes there's places where I kind of probably let go of the reins too much and like, don't take enough off of your plate. But I try to think, okay, when's it time for my genius to come in? Even in this, right? Same way that I think about it at work with my staff. Like, how can I get more out of them? But how, where do I need to be a more valuable presence? And when can I take a backseat? I think it's good for all your relationships is what I'm saying. Is there anything else, any other aha moments that you had that made a difference in your workplace? Well, for me personally, selfishly, as a galvanizer and innovator, and I forget what get what my competencies are do you know i think they're discernment oh yeah i do know this you have discernment and wonder right right yeah i know which is so shocking because i think you have a lot of tenacity but maybe you don't you i have, have a huge well no i mean maybe that's where we disagree because i have a huge amount of tenacity i know actually when we did the first but it kind of annoys me right it's like i feel like i've had to you know, when you get frustrated or you're just grumpy at work and I kind of look at that and go and I look at, I'm good at tenacity. I don't think the organization would be where it is today if I wasn't, but do I enjoy it? Not really. Anyway, so what was nice about it for me or an aha moment for me selfishly, and you know, perhaps also good for the organization, but firstly, galvanizing invention, it just... What I'm trying to do now in my career at this time of my life is lean more into those things. And that's what the board wants me to do. And that's what's going to be best for the organization and to get out of the day-to-day so much, which I've been for a long time. And But the organization needs momentum and it needs me to do more galvanizing and, and invention and uh, evangelizing and things like that, like any CEO has to do. So it, it I suppose the aha moment is it, not only is it what I need to do, not only is it what the board wants me to do, I'm also wired to enjoy doing that and be good at doing that. So I suppose that's what I'm trying to do more of now and struggling with. It's not easy to find that time and to create that space. So that just helps inform that and reinforce the fact that I should be doing more of it. Um, so it's it's hard. It's I guess the, the point is it's it's harder to have excuses uh, for why I'm not doing that. I don't know if I'm being clear, but um, yeah. now that um, I'm wired to do it, I should be doing it. I need to be doing it more. So, you know, hopefully I will be. Well, and also I think what happens is when we see you, or I, when I see you doing those things of that are aligned with your geniuses of, 
you know, whether it's coming up with some idea or getting people excited about something. And I get to see you do that on stage at your gala. I get to see you in your workplace. Sometimes I get to see you in our, with our friends and with your friends who you really pull together for things. When I see you come up with ideas and brains, you're so full of life and happy and, and full of joy. And that's what we want for everybody in our lives and in our workplaces. And so I think that that's always a good sign of whether you leave your day going, oh, this was great. I was doing all the things that I love. Those days fly by. You find yourself smiling more, right? There's all those kind of good health benefits that come along with that. So I really appreciate you doing it, just taking the assessment when I was excited about, but also appreciate that you invited me in to your organization to do it with your company. I really appreciated that and also appreciate you coming on here. So thank you. You were very good. You, you and Elaine, best like workshop ever from external you know, people. Yeah, really good. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for coming. Elaine is actually going to be in an upcoming episode. So if you want to know more about growth mindset and leaning into your strengths, Elaine's episode is coming up so you can um, look out for that. Thank you so much, Philip. And I will see you very soon. <laughs> what, what time is lunch? <laughs> what are we having for lunch again? <laughs> You're cooking. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thanks for inviting me. This wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. So I appreciate you it. You thought it would be bad? No, I was just nervous. Well, I was nervous too. Hey, everybody. Greg Shammy here. As we're closing out today's episode, I've got an awesome opportunity for your new managers and people leaders. Starting May 1st, our transformative eight-week online course called Leadership Learning Lab will kick off. In this course, managers will learn how to build trust and engage their teams, communicate more effectively, and empower themselves and others to achieve success. Imagine if early in your career you had learned how to master the art of impactful feedback or how to navigate performance conversations with ease and even how to delegate effectively. This course is an investment in your team to help your company grow and achieve ultimate success. It's an opportunity that will help your people transform their leadership skills in just eight weeks. Spots are limited. Pre-sales open right now. This is a chance to get ahead and secure spots for your team members at a 10% discount. Use the code PRESALE, one word. Click on the link in the show notes for more info. And thank you so much for joining Christine today. I look forward to seeing your team in our leadership learning lab.